This is Brian Wade of Blue Suede Cartoons, and you're listening to the Top 5 Comics Podcast. Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast. People talk about comics, pop culture, and events. With us today, from the new age of heroes, we have CBS. I might be a rip-off of another character from the comic book universe. That's what I like. We haven't seen it before. It's new to you. That's true. That's what Manson said. We also have the curse of Rob. Hey, hello. Evidently, I'm, I'm cursed. That's definitely true. The, the accursed Rob. Ooh, people shake in fear of that. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Welcome to Topic Cox Podcast. Ah, oh, that's Rob. <laughs> Today we are doing episode number 111. Oh, yeah. Um, and as far as, like, books, today we're going to be doing Exiles number one from Marvel Comics. Brim, well, Curse of Brimstone number one. This is from DC Comics. Then Azola, or Isola, from Image Comics, also number one. Followed up by Domino number one from Marvel. And then The Immortal Men number one, which is also from DC Comics. So we'll show number ones today. Yeah, yeah. Everything new. <laughs> I haven't seen it before. It's new to me. That's no, well, true. It's true. Uh, it's good times. But I, I also mean literally in this case. They're, they're all Oh, no, that's they're, true. They're all new. These are all, these are all new, new books, new series. New, uh, not just new issues, but new series. Yeah, sometimes even new characters. No, well, that's true. At least, at least in a couple of them. Yeah. Maybe three of them. Yeah, three. <laughs> All right. Well, we don't have Ross the dog pile today. As we'll do a little bit of news, maybe not a whole, whole, whole lot. Um, I was gonna say there's a batch of new photos that came out for the uh, Titans TV series. So we got a shot of a uh, Starfire, Beast Boy, and Raven. So those are interesting that they're they're out there um, as a thing. Uh, we also got a little bit more information about the, uh, Captain Marvel movie coming out next year. Like, timeline where it takes place at, um, year-wise it's supposed to be 1990. And, uh, it's supposed to be dealing with the Scroll Cree War, or at least it's during that, I guess. So until we get closer, I mean, it's hard to say exactly what it's gonna include, and whether the Scroll will be a big part of that, or whether it's just a name drop for the sake of a name drop. But, uh, that's interesting, because it predates Almost everything else, Marvel cinema-wise, Saber. I mean, we have first first Avenger, which took place in the fifties with Cap, and Iron Man. I don't exactly know what year Iron Man falls in. I don't know if it's nineteen. I don't know what year it's supposed to be in. But they're saying this movie takes place from for Captain Marvel in nineteen ninety. So I guess we'll see what that means. I think it leads to scrolls in Infinity War, but you never know. That's just a guess. That's true. I, I mean, it could. Um, I'm. Assuming strongly she's going to be in Infinity War. Now, the way we understand it, she doesn't show up till the second film. Okay. So maybe like a catch at the end, maybe? Maybe. That would make sense to me. Yeah. Well, she's not featured on the poster, so. Which, of course, neither was Hawkeye during one of the posters. That's true. But that led to a bunch of people on the internet. Oh, Hawkeye's not on there. He's going to have an Infinity Stone. Well, then they made another poster he where, he's on the, where he's on the poster. So, whatever. Although I think I was going to call a scroll at this point, I would call Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch. No, uh, 
uh, Black Widow? Yes. Huh. Both. Explains the Black Widow's blonde hair. And explains Hawkeye's mystery family. Hawkeye from, from Go. Maybe not from Thor, but from the first Avenger movie. Or no, maybe the second Avenger movie. From the second Avenger movie forward, Hawkeye was scroll. There's a mystery family out of nowhere, which, oh no, it was just a secret for the second movie to trick you. No, no. Scrolls. That's all I'm guessing. There's no proof to that whatsoever. That's just my own craziness in my head, so take it or leave it, people, but if it was true and it happens, you know where you heard it first. That's just like me saying sunrise is tomorrow. You know who told you? No? Almost the same? But almost. Almost because like the sun is is pretty surely gonna come up. Yeah, I gotcha. So I say see. So it's not it's not quite the same. Yeah. Well, whatever. Other stuff like news wise. Uh they showed Shatterstar in the most recent Deadpool trailer, which is pretty neat. Um I doubt he'll be part of the main storyline just because it's the first time we saw him. I think it's more of a cameo for the sake of cameo, probably. But interesting nonetheless. Uh, as far as the thing. Uh we also saw that uh Rock Kirkman and uh Jonathan Hickman. Hickman, yes, have both made um, some type of deal with Amazon for two TV series, uh, one East of West, which that should be freaking awesome, and then the second one was Transhuman, or Tran, yeah, Transhuman, which I don't really know Transhuman at all, but uh, East of West is freaking great, so that's super interesting, just as a thing, so I guess we'll see what Amazon does with it, right? Yeah, it should be, it should be awesome, East of West is a huge undertaking, it's a great it's a great comic so far, so I don't know how they're going to make it into a show, but cause there's a lot of world building. Yeah, and Kirkman's a good good with that when he does stories, so I don't know. I imagine it'll be kind of, I don't think it'll be that hard. I mean, as far as set up as shows, HBO's got, what's the cowboy one, the show with the... Uh, Westworld? Yes. Okay. Sad to take very many words. Six million dollar pyramid, here we come. So yeah, the Westworld... And they managed to pull that off pretty okay. And I granted there's a lot more crazy stuff in East of West, but I don't know. I think I think it's doable. I mean, obviously somebody else does too, so I guess we'll see if it actually happens or not. Because it wouldn't be the first time that something got picked up and nothing was done with it. So well, that's true. I guess we'll see. Uh, as far as news, I feel like that's all. I don't remember if there's anything else or not. Rob, anything on the news from that you're aware of? Not anything in particular that I, that I really can recall. You know, aside from... Been just going to action, but I think we all know that. Well, yeah, at this point, that's yeah, that's something that just that's already happened. So we're yeah, we're there. All right. Uh, well, I guess it's probably enough. Well, maybe not enough news, but that's all the news I got right now. So you know, so I guess we can uh, move on to uh, to some books. Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we do need this. Uh, so last week we had a couple, uh, we did a promotion to give out some digital codes. And we thought we'd be able to do it just straight through iTunes. Well, obviously that didn't necessarily work that direction because iTunes is the devil. But, um, we had three winners. So if you are, uh, I don't know, I, I guess, uh, we got, so we got a couple people need to email us. So if, uh, I don't even know how to tell people who, who it is to, to respond email wise. So I guess if you if you can give us an email, uh, Junkoniak four twenty six and uh, paper forty three fifty three and Eliza five six eight three four 
you know your number. Give us an email at top five comics at oh no, top five comics podcasts, excuse me, top five comics podcast at hotmail.com and we'll see about getting into digital codes. And if you, if you feel like, you know, you'd like want to put a comment on the uh, old iTunes, even though I think it's the devil, that's still super helpful. And we appreciate it. So, you know. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that iTunes didn't quite work out that way. Well, yeah, we expected to handle it differently than it, than it is, but. So that's partially our fault, but whatever. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, let's move on to some books, because that's what you're really here for, in theory. Because we're not very entertaining this week, I don't think. At least I don't feel very entertained. <laughs> oh. Well, we're just getting started, so maybe, maybe, maybe whatever. Things will change. I don't know. Okay, uh, so Exiles number one. Rob, tell me a story about the Exiles. Well, it's being written by Saladin Ahmed, and then uh, we got the art for Javier Rodriguez. Which is good for me because I I've always have a problem with J's and H sounds because it's spelled with a J. It's supposed to be H. It depends on what nationality it's supposed to be, Rob. Yeah, I I have a, a terrible time with that. I had a guy named Jose that I pronounced as Josie, and nobody else was there <laughs> to tell me. So I was looking for Josie, and they're like, we don't know. I haven't seen this Joseph Pearson. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it was, it was a terrible, it was a terrible thing. It's a terrible story. Sorry. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so Exiles actually begins on the moon, and what we see is what we know as Nick Fury, now the keeper of the Watcher's eye, trapped on the moon. And we kind of hear a bit of his origin. We hear about why he's been left there and why he's now kind of the, the watcher, why he's now known as the Unseen. So what we find out is that the Unseen has been witness to countless multiverses being destroyed, destroyed by some kind of entity that is just beyond his sight. But to make things even more interesting, we are greeted with a Nick Fury from another reality. A Nick Fury that is holding the Talus, which is a device that allows one to travel between realities. The Talus actually has a piece of the McCran crystal, so if you're deep into Marvel lore, you know that that's where the Phoenix Force lies. The McCran crystal is like kind of a sentient thing unto itself. The crystal has been seeking people to uh, correct Doom timelines for a while. And it's kind of the MacGuffin of the Exiles books. In this case, it brings Nick Fury face-to-face with the Unseen. And they have their moment uh, across from each other, which was actually pretty cool because like Nick Fury makes sort of fun of the Unseen. It's like, oh, you should know what to look like that. You shouldn't be wearing a dress. It leads us to the next character that we're going to really spend time with in the story, which is Blink. And Blink's trying to make kind of a life for herself. Here in our reality, where she's actually kind of uh, beginning to make a relationship with her mother's sister, so her aunt. But before we can get too far into this, uh, she winds up being called back by the device. And uh, she's she's kind of pissed about it, because once you've spent your time as a part of the Exiles, the idea is you kind of earn your place in a reality that's not doomed. And so now she's kind of gotten hijacked back into being a part of the Exiles again. 
this leads her to the moon, where, of course, she meets the Unseen, and she doesn't have any connection to Nick Fury, because of the reality that Blink came from, Nick never played a real big role. But he sort of explains what he can in his very watcherly way about whatever is destroying the different multiverses. And then the Talos sends her to where it wants her to go. The first world that she winds up traveling to is this completely war-torn version of New Jersey, where we find a whole bunch of motley characters running around. Uh, evidently, in this particular version of reality, we had a war breakout between the mutants and Inhumans, and the Inhumans and the mutants kind of destroyed most of the planet in their battle. At least it looks that way. Everything's pretty war-torn. Yeah, and so what we find is a very war-hardened, aged Camilla Khan, who doesn't want to go by Miss Marvel anymore, so she uh, she winds up being called the Khan, or just Khan, yeah, like, by Blink. Like Blink calls her, Miss Marvel, I know you. And she's like, call me Khan. I have to assume that's how it sounds when she says it, because it looks like it would sound that way. It could be. She's very painful. Haggard. Well, yeah, she's she's war torn, Rob. Yeah, but do you think she'd be able to fix that because she's a shapeshifter, sort of? So you think she'd be able to clean that up a little bit? But whatever. Yeah, she doesn't really, you know, she doesn't use it for that much. Not really. As we kind of find out a little bit about that world, and Khan and Blink work out their differences, we're almost immediately shown the world being washed away in a, a whiteout as the Tolos teleports them to the next reality, which we're basically finding out Blink had no control over it. It's choosing whatever members it wants to take from these doomed realities now. But uh, the next reality it dumps them in is somewhere in the far future where we come across a version of Iron Lad. This particular version of Iron Lad, rather than being motivated to go back and stop himself from becoming King the Conqueror. Decided that, well, I'm just going to use whatever power I have now to, to just beat up these bullies that were immediately giving me problems. Well, yeah, it makes it sound like that whenever Kang showed up and gave him the armor, the whole point was for him to go whoop the bullies that initially hurt Kang in the original timeline for their universe. But yeah, he's a little less, uh, like, heroic type than what our Iron Lad, I think, was before? Yeah, he's definitely got less altruistic um, visions, I guess. It would be kind of like Batman having the chance to go back to Crime Alley and, like, instead of even trying to save his his family, he just beats the crap out of Joe Chill. Kind of that way. Or, uh, or like, like Peter, um, using his Spider-Man powers immediately like, take his revenge on Flash Thompson and, like, never going any further. He's not going to become Spider-Man. He's just going to whoop up on the the bullies that gave him heck. So that, that's kind of where it looks like this version of, of Iron Lad's going to be. Yeah, chase-wise, it's hard to say exactly where he sets in general, personality-wise, because it doesn't even seem like he realizes he's being sort of self-righteous, I guess. Because, like, he just assumes that this is what anybody else would do until after talking to 
blink a little bit, and then all of a sudden Kang shows up again. Yeah. I think all they were really trying to do was make sure that you knew this wasn't the same Iron Lad. All right. Well, that's, that works okay, I guess, as far as a thing. Yeah, that, that's my guess. Yeah, so I, I, my guess is just that they were trying to silhouette the, you know, don't don't think this is the young Justice or the young Avengers Iron Lad. Now, quickly from there, we get the big reveal of the book, and it is a pretty big reveal as to what is causing the timelines to be destroyed, and it's actually pretty awesome. So we're gonna leave that for you to discover when you get to this book. We spend, you know, we spend most of this book actually building our team, uh, which I, at this point looks like it's going to be a five-part deal, five five-member deal. I should say. I'm sorry, not a five-part, but cast-wise, five yeah. members of the team. Yeah. The kind of downside to me is that the two members that we didn't get to in this, or actually three of the members that we didn't get to this, seem to be the more interesting ones. Actually, I guess the two. Yeah, the two. They were the ones I was more immediately like, oh man, I want to know about these characters. So, which for those people who haven't seen the cover, it's basically Thor Marvel movie universe um, Valkyrie. Valkyrie. Yeah. And then like a super chibi Wolverine. Yeah, all, all shapes and sizes chibi. Yeah. I mean, there's a picture in the back of this of the second cover and... It's got it's got both of them on the cover, so good times. Yeah, so I'm hoping that we we get to them soon. Rob, you want to score that book? Uh, sadly, you know, I I really like to give it a much higher score. I think I think I gotta give it a two point five. It's not it's not badly written, and the artwork isn't terrible for it. It's just kind of really in the middle. And the stuff that I really would like them to have gotten to, they didn't get to in this issue. It just feels like we spend a lot of time him and Hobbin like re reestablishing who Blink is. And we spend a good deal of time with Nick Fury on the moon, which was really cool, but it may not have been necessary. And then we kind of rush through Camilla and what her world is and jump over to Iron Lad but we don't really get to the other two characters, which I kind of felt like were more exciting than the ones we saw in the first first little bit. They're definitely the most different, I mean, as far as setup's concerned. Yeah. I mean, Chibi Wolverine, that's not a normal thing. No. And it, it is a, a book that I don't know how well it lends itself to new readers. Because for Blink, even though they explained a lot, they didn't. they don't give you enough if you've never encountered... The, the character apocalypse before. Yeah. And Iron Lad is, of course, like, the coolest things about him are stuff that we we learned in Young Justice that they sort of touch on here. Young Avengers? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. I keep, right. I keep doing the Young, the Young Justice as the Young Avengers. Which is a heck of a story, by the way. So during the time where Avengers were canceled, Young Avengers was actually... Really interesting. If you oh, yeah, it was great. So go check it out. But yeah, I, I'd say 2.5. I, I would like to put it higher. Probably as the series continues, I'm going to... My, my opinion will probably change of it, but right now it's kind of... Yeah. Okay. So yeah, with a, like a 2.5 on a 5 scale is really not that bad. As far as scores are concerned, it's basically the middle. 
you know, I follow suit with you. I mean, art-wise, I don't mind it. I do kind of wish Blink look, looked a little sharper, but we haven't seen her in a book in a while, so as far as a moving forward kind of point, I agree that this might be harder for people that are new. Let's say that you got on the Marvel boat yesterday. A lot of these nuances don't matter to you, like Camilla Khan or Miss Marvel. Uh, okay. Same thing down the line with Iron Lad. So, like, it's it's a harder book to be, like, a starter point for somebody. I think Exiles has always been more geared to people to be able to see the subtle nuances between the differences of realities. So, if you're not, like, a Marvel, you don't have to be a historian by any means, but if you haven't read at least one or two Marvel books to be able to understand some of the characters, I can see it being hard. Um, just as a starting kind of book. Yeah. Well, the great advantage that Exiles always has had is that you you can pull you don't have to pull any punches you can do whatever you want right you know it's the kind of story that I I think a lot of readers maybe that are more casual can really get more behind because you can have those big dramatic killing off characters and wiping out worlds that maybe wouldn't work in a regular story sure but you can get away with that in, in Exiles I mean there's a whole series where Pete was luring kids into the basement and laying eggs inside of them. Which is nuts. Yeah, that's crazy. But you can do that in Exiles. So. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to, uh, is it Brimstone number one? Or Curse of, excuse me, Curse of Brimstone number one. This is from that New Age of Heroes that DC's doing. The storyline is called Inferno, and this is part one. Uh, this is brought to us by Philip Tan and, uh, Justin Jordan. Respectfully, as far as what they do. Uh, setup wise, so he's a brand new character. We're like we haven't dealt with this character before. So when we first open up, we're basically met with Brimstone in full force, and he's a fiery, death-looking demon for the most part. And then we flash back earlier that day, so we can lead to the story as far as our beginning part goes. And we open up in like what looks like a rundown town, and we've got a explanation about how the town used to thrive and used to be a coal town and then the coal mines dried up and so industry dried up and so now it's just a husk of a place. Uh, the name of the city we're in is York Hill. That's uh, what the name of the town was. And we've got a boy driving around his truck and he's uh, having trouble with the car, it's the truck itself, like he's dead at a stoplight and the guy behind him is honking like a jerk and we find out that all this retrospect we've been getting is from the kid's point of view, and he's just hoping that everything goes well for his sister. And his sister's name's Annie, and she's she's studying to be a nurse, and apparently she has, she has these really good grades. And Joe, Joe's our main character, and he admittedly is not the best in school, and that's part of why he can't seem to get a job. But it also hurts that there's not enough people in town for there to be any like decent amount of jobs that you can try to get. Um, his last name's Chamberlain, and like I was saying, the dad. At some point, got injured, and they're living on the the whole welfare system, not welfare, from the disability that his father got working for the mine. But even that, like his father is so injured that he can't really do anything; he can barely walk, and his back's so damaged. And the more he goes on about the town, we talk about a few. The few people that are left is only because they can't leave. Everybody else that could leave has left, and there's an older lady that lives there, and he he feels real bad about her because all of her friends are gone, and her husband's passed away, and so she's just trapped there. Uh, we have it run in with the police officer in town, and of course he jokes with Joe about, "Oh, you're still looking for a job," <laughs> and then Joe leaves. Leaves after after he visits his sister at her job at the diner, 
Uh, that's when he runs into the police officer, and then he leaves and basically goes on on his way to go back home. That's where the whole intermingle with Dad happens. There is kind of a an interesting dynamic between the sheriff and Joe, which does come in a little bit later as well. But like, he's had history in this town, is what you know really comes to, I guess. Well, yeah. As far as like, he constantly refers to the town as being a trap. Uh, anyhow, so we fast forward a little bit past there. And uh, we wind up joining this car driving in the town. The course of the vehicle speeding, and our officer pulls it over. And as he's talking to the man behind the wheel, the man says, "Well, is there anything I can do for you, officer? That'll make this change." And you see the man's eyes turn like a blood red, and all of a sudden the police officer seems to be in a trance. And he shakes his head and clears his eyes. He's like, "I'm just going to be writing you a ticket now." And he's like, "Oh, you're a rare, you're a rare breed, officer." But now we've been here long enough. Um, We've been joined by my head. And about then we see a monster behind the man, and uh, next thing you know, officer is turned into, into a complete ice crystal. Shaped like a man, of course, and it's a mess. Uh, so, as far as that, he did not mean a good end. And uh, the, the the guy in the car, he uh, talks about, man, you don't find many people that don't have something that they are willing to give everything for. And apparently uh, our officer had just been so okay with his place in life that... There was no want that he could exploit or use against him. Uh, anyway, from there, we join Annie again, and she's busy trying to do homework, and she's with Joe and the father, and they're trying to figure out, well, she's, not, she's working the homework, and she's doing finances for the bills. And we wind up finding out that they're short, and they shouldn't be short money-wise. And so Joe questions his dad, and his dad's like, oh, yeah, Jimmy needed it for something he's working on, and he's good for it, he'll pay us back. And, of course, that sets Joe off. Because they barely have enough to pay their bills anyway. Why is Dad giving away money to random people in town? And so it pisses Joe off for the most part. He storms out of the house and drives off in his truck. Well, we Joe enjoy Joe a short time later, and the truck course is broken down, and he's walking back in the town to get back home. And about then, he sees the same car that our officer pulled over earlier. And Joe's picked up by what he assumes is a salesman. And the salesman's driving back into town, and the two of them are talking, and Joe talks to him about how old. He's been dealt with salesmen before, and the guy starts talking to him about, oh, you know, we, our, my company's looking for a town like this, you know, a town we can really get into and make some changes to, and we really need an agent to work for us to do that. And he's like, what do you want in life, Joe? And so Joe basically explains to him how he wants his sister to get out and how he wants the town to be a place that people will want to come to again, and so they'll put it on the map, make it famous, and... Without really thinking, he agrees to work for the man, and they seal the deal with handshake. And about that time, we wind up seeing that uh, our dude's not a normal dude. The uh, guy driving the car is more of a, I don't know, I'd say an emissary of hell. Probably not the, probably not the devil, because he talked about doing some deals, but not like he's a, a pro at doing deals with people. But he says the one thing to never ask about is how they get what they want. And about that time, we see Joe engulfed in flames and basically being turned into a hell demon. There's a few other things that happen before we get to the close of the book, so we're going to leave a little bit of that off the page just so we have a piece to chase for it. But book-wise and story-wise, the way the art moves in it is really pretty cool. And yeah, there there are similarities to Ghost Rider, but anytime you deal with the devil, there'll be similarities, just because that's how the devil works. As far as the story is concerned, I was fairly entertaining. I mean, we do go in circles a little bit with Joe about his want for the town to be better and how crappy the town is. But that's just to drive it home to us exactly how special his sister is. Is his sister of all the people that are still in town is like the one with an actual chance to do something different. And 
his whole deal is basically to try to protect and save her. Whether that'll happen or not, well, we don't know yet. Dun, dun, dun. Sorry, I don't have the echo that I need to have for that. <laughs> oh, well. Um, Score-wise, you know, I give it two and a half. I mean, the art is pretty... Actually, you know, I give it three. The art is... Uh, the art is pretty tight. I mean, it is pretty... It's a little more messy than what I normally expect from Philip Tan. But as far as uh, style for it, yeah, man, it's gritty. All the hell stuff and the fire stuff is awesome. I'm super interested in series number two. As far as the... Like I said, as far as the story, I'm happy with what's going on right now. I didn't... Like, a couple of the other ones of the new DC lines, I felt like we needed a couple more pages. This one, like, where it pauses at, is a pretty good place to leave for the start of a cliffhanger. Because whatever's going to happen from here, this is like, this is where it starts. So yeah, I give it three and a half. Um, that's, that's all I got. Rob, you got a score for that book? Yeah, I, kind of like with Exiles, I, I would love to put it much higher. I, I think, I think I gotta go 2.5 on this one as well. The artwork for it, like you said, I, I really like. And the writing is done well, it's just, it feels like we spend so much time kind of getting to know Joe and getting to know the city. And, I mean, there's, there's reasons for that, but it feels like almost too much time to me. I would have liked it to kind of gotten a little bit, going a bit faster. Um, hopefully, people are going to want to come back to it and keep going, because it is a bit of a slow burn. This one, I think, would have been... It might have helped more to have launched us in the middle of it, rather than doing the whole origin right now. But the the salesman character and whatever his goals are are they're they're pretty devious. It's pretty interesting, uh, and it'll be neat to see how this story plays out because it looks like Brimstone is going to be a pretty big mover and shaker in at least the new stuff for DC. So I, I'm ex- I'm interested to see where it's going to go. I just I just wish it would have picked up a little faster. Mm-hmm. At least for me. Well, as far as uh, books are concerned, let's move on to our next book. This would be uh, Azola number one from Image Comics. Yes, and I'm sure I'm going to say these names wrong. I apologize for advance because I, I know I'm going to say these wrong, but it's Brendan Fletcher and Carol Kershaw uh, for story, and then Carol Kershaw and Mazeski as the second artist. But yeah, moving on. Sorry, sorry if I said that terribly. Spell it out. Uh, it's going to be M S. A-S-S-Y-K. So, yeah, that's how you spell the second artist listed on the book. Yeah. And he, he's infamous. He doesn't have a last name at all. It's just, just the one thing. It's like Prince. Back when he ever had the symbol? Oh, both times. No, just, just, just Prince. Just Prince, okay. You, you, don't say, you don't say Mr. Prince. You just, that's, right, that's well, true. Well, maybe you do say Mr. Prince. I don't no. know. I don't think so. I mean, I've been wrong before, but I don't think so. He's, he's infamous. That's what I'm going to go with. Or she? I don't know. They're infamous. Let's just continue on. Okay. <laughs> so we start out in the jungle in the pouring rain, and we're introduced to this uh, lady soldier, and she's out being rained on next to this kind of makeshift lean-to tent that has a black tiger with white stripes underneath it. So she's out in the rain, and the tiger's underneath the tent. And as she's watching the rain, she looks back and sees the tiger is uncovered. And so she walks over and takes her cape off. 
to drape it over the tiger. And so from there, we kind of hear, like, we hear sounds out in the forest, and she starts to wander off and kind of explore the area until she comes across this fox with these crazy glowing eyes. And as she follows the fox, it leads her down to this little kind of grotto area where she sees another one of these tigers that is lined with arrows. And she starts freaking out, runs into the water, you know, shouting, oh, no, no, no. And, of course, she proclaims that, like, oh, it's all my fault. And that she's going to kill whoever's responsible for this. And uh, after she makes her outburst and she looks back, she finds, oh, there's the body's gone. And from there, we kind of go back to up by the makeshift lean-to. And she's sharpening her sword, and the tiger gets up. And we start seeing her really act odd. She's bowing to the tiger and talking to her as if, you know, this this tiger's royalty. And that it's her majesty. And we kind of start getting this idea that whatever the tiger was before, she's now stuck in this form, maybe. And that they can't go back home because it would be impossible to, like, explain their situation or whatever's happened at home is too dire to go back to. But she also, uh, as she's kind of defending, you know, the, the tiger, we start finding out that she and the tiger can't communicate any longer, any longer. So she's still treating her like she's royalty, but, and the tiger has to make all the decisions, but she can't really understand what the tiger's seeing or, or know what the tiger's motivations are. And they wind up almost getting ran over by a stampede. And some of the, some of the reason that happens is because the tiger's trying to warn her, but she can't understand what the tiger's trying to do. Right. Their their communication between each other isn't is not seamless. No. And after we have our our big stampede, there's a huge reveal in this really impressive piece of artwork that these creatures are being led to, and we'll kind of. Leave that because, you know, once, once you see it, it's impressive. It's, you know, I don't want to, like, take anything away from that. But as we explore that, that next kind of image, we start seeing that there's other people out there. And she refers to them as the hunting clan. And all I can think is that she must be worried that the hunt clan would try to attack the tiger. Cause she makes a big deal of, like, trying to stay out of the line of sight from them. Even though later in the story, she makes it clear that like they're not in their correct territory. But um, we have a little bit of world building and seeing what these huntsmen are doing and how this world kind of... At this point, it seems very medieval, but it also seems very... Magical. Yeah, kind of overrun with giant mystical kind of creatures. Most of the animals that we see have some kind of twist to them that makes them almost magical or mythical. But as we go, we get introduced to at least one more character that kind of deepens the plot because he's more mystically inclined, I guess, and he can kind of communicate with with our, our uh, yeah. He's tiger. able he's able to talk with the tiger and understand the tiger, and like the reasoning behind that is because of who he happens to be. 
which is another thing that I, I don't entirely know if they got to in this issue or not, only because I've seen other stuff for this particular book. They do not. Okay. So yeah, there's a couple of things I know about this book farther than issue one. But um, it's it's really told a lot more through the visuals. So oh, it, yeah. might, it might seem like, oh, we're not talking about a whole lot. And some of that's because we want to keep some of this. Well, yeah, there's back. a couple a couple like catch things. That, that's the whole point. But yeah. But the other end is that it's so much about the visual experience that really tells a lot of this story. So, oh, yeah, the art's fantastic. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm actually really impressed with it. I I would give it a I give it a four. I, it's very visually impressive. The storyline for it seems to be very complicated, and I think we got to get past at least this first issue, to really understand what's going on. But it's told in such a way that it kind of piques your interest and wants, makes you want to come back for it. So, But yeah, but I, I was pretty impressed with it, but it's it's a lot of visual storytelling, which is is good and it's bad in comics, because, you know, it's it's a lot of what we come for, but, you know, it, it can come off as, like, not much of a read, because... So much of it's told visually. Right. Well, score-wise, yeah, I follow suit and give it a four also. I mean, the art is beautiful. As far as uh, movement in, the, in the, the pictures, the just the way the art moves is freaking awesome. And yeah, there, there are some other pieces that connect with this thing from a previous story, which I, only, I know that because of other stuff. Now, whether you need that or not, I'm going to say you, you probably don't, and I'm sure that by the time we get to the end of issue two... More of that will be ironed out, and that's part of the chase. But if you do want to get this issue and you want to look for more stuff, it does connect to a couple other things, just as an FYI, I guess. But as far as a standalone issue by itself, I mean, the art is beautiful. The story, like you said, it feels like a quick read, but there's just so much stuff that happens visually that more than half the story feels to be told that direction. I mean, we go from the 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 raining to the flashback, from the flashback to now where she's in modern time trying to event the the premonition from happening, and this whole time we have this other random character show up out of nowhere that connects. But the ironing of how he connects, I know, is an issue too. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I give it a four. Um, yeah, that's that's it. That's that's what I got. Yeah, definitely it's it's one of those ones that I, I'd really strongly recommend. Take your time and go back and just go over the visuals because so much of it's there. Anyhow. Right. Move on to issue number one of Domino. Does that sound like a thing to do? I feel like I'm not on pace like normal. Um, so Domino number one, this is written by Gail Simone. Uh, it was a show favorite and a favorite in life for me. Um, and, uh, the art is by, uh, David, um, Blion? Blion? There's a pronunciation for the Dion part, so I'm not exactly sure how to say it. Baldion? 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 Yeah, I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce it. Um, anyhow, so when the book starts, we open up with, uh, well, we open up with the face of a cute puppy. And a little pug dog. And he's wearing a big blue ribbon. And he looks a lot like Domino color-wise. Not just a lot, like he's straight up Domino colors. Neon, like white, white, and then big black spot on his eye. 
And uh, there's a voice off camera saying, it's not going to work. I know you. You know it's not going to work. And we cut from there to find Domino dressed in like, a, I don't know, kind of like a party dress, a little upscale. And she's having a conversation with the puppy about how he's not going to get his way, no matter what cute face he makes at her. She's not going to cave in. Which, of course, leads to what? Oh, yeah, her caving in. That's right. So she tells the puppy, oh, he can stay. It's a trial basis, though. He can't screw up. So this whole time she's been talking to him is about deciding whether to keep him or not. And the whole time he's just sitting there because, you know, he doesn't know what she's saying. And if he does, he didn't let on. But, of course, he won because he's cute. <laughs> and from there we cut to uh, the forest. And uh, we are in we are 15 hours earlier, according to the write-up at the stop, top of the page. And uh, we join Domino in the pouring rain along with Outlaw. Which outlaw is another bounty hunter type. She uh she showed up during the uh the Agent X stuff. Yes. So she's basically a cowboy sharpshooter type. You know, mouthy. So she's like a another well kinda like she's kinda like Domino actually. I mean she's an assassin, so Which that series was also done by Amanda, if I'm right. Or I'm sorry. By Gail. By Gail, mm-hmm. if I'm right. Yeah, she wrote she wrote the Agent X stuff too. That was back when she was writing Deadpool. And the Agent X spun out of there. But yeah, Outlaw's in that series too. And the two of them, while they're traipsing about, they've, they're deciding what they're going to do with their next stage of the mission they've been hired for. And they, they let us know they've both been hired to come in and save a, like, logger worker guy and put a stop to a batch of uh, monkey wrenchers, the types that will go around disrupting, like logger companies and companies that they feel like are damaging the ecosystem. They're damaging life. You guys loggers are cutting down trees? Oh, well, you're you're a problem. And so the ladies are trying to decide how to handle that. And, of course, about the time they find their uh, their group of uh, would-be thugs in the woods, Domino just decides to take it upon herself to wander into the middle of the, the hornet's nest. And while, she, while this is happening, we, we kind of have Domino doing like a, a retrospect on herself and about how her powers work. Basically her power is that she has luck. She's lucky. Which, you say, that's not a power. But the way it works for Domino, it pretty much is. I mean, it, it really is. Her and Longshot both. If you don't know who Longshot is, I say Wikipedia. I think he's probably touched more than she is with the luck power. It's very possible. Um, but, you know, so Domino walks in the middle of the group and she basically tells them all, as she points guns at them, that she's taking the guy. And, uh, when she reached down, the guy in the, that's in the middle of the group has a hood on his head and he shanties him and he hands her something. And it's a set of dominoes. And, uh, the numbers on them is like a broken domino. And the numbers together make a seven. And she's like, what the heck is this? And about that time, a giant, like, I don't know, mutant monster type, almost like a Bigfoot and man that mixed together is what it looks like. I mean, it's a crazy looking, like, yeah, wear bat thing. Yeah. And, uh, the guys open up fire on her. And so she realizes it's a trap and that her and, that her and, uh, outlaw have been set up. And so it comes to the two of them trying to get away. Well, while Domino is running and shooting, she's being chased by the, or they're following her, this giant, like, steamroller kind of truck trying to run her down. And she just happens to trip on the one thing that would help her not get hit by it. But she trips and she falls in like a crazy, embarrassing type of mud puddle kind of way, like face in the mud style. But because of the way she fell, 
they weren't able to run her over. So it's just her luck power again. And about that time, Outlaw shows up and tackles her out of the way from getting shot and then throws her, like, fastball special style. Because Outlaw's also got heightened strength. But yeah, so Outlaw basically takes and scrabs her up from the ground, spins around and heaves her. She actually says fastball special, which is awesome. And Domino's like, I don't have super strength, as she throws her. And uh, that leads to Domino rolling and shooting and basically taking everybody out in the party trying to shoot the two of them to death. But it's all happenstance and accidental. Um, but about the time they get done, the only thing left, really, is the is the big monster. And she uh, basically tells him, well, he can either change back into normal or she'll take him out. And that'll be that. Because they're, they're there to help mutants. They're there to help his kind of people. And who he's working for is not helping him. And about that time, we have another lady that I know is one of Rob's favorites show up. Diamondback. Yeah. Who is freaking awesome and does not get used hardly ever. No. No, she's she's one of the ones that, uh, like, even Marvel in the TV series have, like, decided that they're going to reappropriate her name. But, yeah, Diamondback has been uh, a part of the Serpent Society, a supervillain, a superhero, a love interest of Captain America, and popped up all over the place. She's got a really long history, and she's she's pretty awesome. I like that. Yeah, Diamondback's, Diamondback's pretty cool. Heck, yeah. Well, she shows up in all of her pink hair glory and jumps and steps out of this big, nice, like, really nice car to be driving out in the woods. And she collects Domino and Outlaw and our uh, would-be man Matt and uh, takes him back into the city. Now, as they're returning home, like, they've, they've convinced Domino that she's supposed to go out because it's going to be Domino's birthday. And as they're riding up the elevator to Domino's house, she's like, you know, girls, I just don't think I can go out. Like, I really don't want to. And, of course, the guy... Now our man that has changed back into his normal self, which is kind of a toady-looking dude, but he's there dressed up also, and uh, he's like, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be doing. She's like, just hang out with the girls, it'll be fine, and she's both convinced them that she's going to stay home tonight, and they're both like, oh, we can't let that happen, no, no, no. I, well, maybe it'll be okay this one time, and about that time, the door opens to her apartment, and inside is a whole slew of X-Men characters, happy birthday surprise style. And, like, we go through, like, a cast of who's who. I mean, Deadpool's there, Storm's there, Colossus is there, uh, Dazzler's there actually performing as Dazzler. So, like, there's this whole slew of cameos. And as it goes along, we basically get an explanation how all these people connect to Domino for the most part. I mean, it's not, like, a spot-for-spot character thing, but it's, like, it covers a lot of backstory in a really creative way. Because it talks about how she was she used to date this guy, she used to date that guy, and they're all kind of hanging out together. And so we get, like, a whole pathos for her. I mean, like I said, it's not chip for chip, but, man, like, there's so much, like, go over for her backstory style in a really creative way. It's awesome. Anyhow, during all this going on, Domino starts to get a headache, which is one of the signs of something getting ready to happen that's bad. But during the headache, she gets a flashback of when she was a kid and the whole tattoo got put on her eye. So, like, even all that stuff, it goes over in, like, a super creative way. And the art for it is beautiful. Well, we get to the end of the party, or to the, the later evening of the party, and uh, Domino's like, I, I need to go lay down. I mean, my headaches are giving me problems. And uh, Diamondback's like, well, I'll walk you. We need to watch the, the firework display, because Dazzler's going to put on a show. And they talk to her about how, oh, we were going to try to get Jubilee, you know, now she's not a vampire. But, you know, Dazzler wanted to do it, so we should probably go watch it. And so Dazzler basically puts on a fireworks show for the, for the group to watch, and then she presents Domino with her, with her present. 
and her present is the puppy. <laughs> so the conversation from the very beginning of the book, this is where those two things line up. And uh, Diamondback tells her, go ahead and lay down. I'll make an excuse for you. Don't worry. It's fine. And away she goes. And earlier, whenever we were first met with the group, then we realized that there was a setup for the for the two assassins. There's a name drop mentioned of who paid them to be there. And it's not a name I'm familiar with, but, uh, and so about this time she finally gets to relax. We find out someone's been waiting for her in her room. And it's this cre- creepy old dude who has like a, a bag or a box in his hand wrapped up sort of like a present. And then this really tall, redheaded, mercenary looking assassin. And Domino's like, do I know you guys? Like, what are you doing back here? Like, who are you, old man? And the old man's like, oh, well, we, I'm, I'm merely an admirer. We, we happen to have the same birthday, and I have a present for you. And then he introduces his, well, he gives her the present. She opens the present. Inside of it, it's a broken domino with only one mark on it. So it's not snake eyes, it's a single dot. And, uh, at about that time, he lets her know that his assistant is Topaz. And Topaz is the same person who had paid to have them assassinated. And about that time, Topaz attacks her, and the old man's talking and running his mouth, and he's he says, it'll be interesting to see what happens when your powers don't work anymore, and that luck turns against you. And about that time, Domino goes for a gun underneath her bed, but she's just short. She just just doesn't make it, and Topaz stamps on her arm and basically breaks it, and then gets a hold of her and throws her out the window. The fight is a lot more brutal than that, and lasts a lot longer than my description, but uh, about that time, we get the catch for the end of the book that seems like Domino's powers might not be working. And why or how is a very big question. And that's kind of where we wrap. Like, in a very bad place for Domino. Um, as far as the book's concerned, I was thoroughly entertained reading it. Great. The story is awesome. The way we get so much backstory stuff and, like, nuance of characters. I mean, we have Agent X is there and Deadpool's there and... There's just so many different characters that show up in this book. Cameo-wise, it just shows you how integral or how many pieces Domino has touched in the world. As far as like a character by herself, she really has threaded through a lot of different characters, connection-wise. And like all that's awesome. Uh, the art's fantastic. I really like that we're using Outlaw and Diamondback because Outlaw hardly gets used ever. Diamondback's got the same problem. Like they're both great, but they hardly ever get used. So like. That whole thing, if we're going to have a Gotham City Sirens in Marvel, these could easily be that. A grand, neither one of them is as crazy as Harley, but Outlaw's pretty nuts. I mean, she dresses like a full-on cowboy with, like, chaps on and like, not a whole lot else, not a whole lot more else. And she's nuts, but awesome. Anyhow, uh, score-wise, I give it a four and a half. Like, I thought the book was great. Like the art's amazing, the covers are, the, all the covers are great, whether they're variants or normal. Uh, story-wise, thoroughly entertained, like I said. Um, I'd say if any, if you ever had an interest in Domino at all, this is the place to start because it gives you so much backstory stuff for her, and not in like a boring kind of way, in a really interesting like walk through her life type way, which I thought was great. Anyhow, um, yeah, so I give it four and a half. If you haven't already got copies of it, get on it because it's gone on the second print already, so. Yeah, you should really step on it. Rob, score for that book. I, I enjoyed it as well. I'm I, I'm a pretty big X fan, so I'm sold on most of that stuff, anyways. But I, I'd give it a four. 
there's some elements that I, I didn't know before. I don't know. Uh, one of them being kind of, they start to explain a little bit about her look in this. Well, yeah, part of the, part of the backstory stuff we get, or the flashbacks during the party mm-hmm. is all about like her, the way she looks in general. Yeah. And I, I always assumed that that was just a part of her mutation. I don't know if they've ever explained that before. And I think that's probably going to be something that we are focusing on. It's got to be, with, I, I assume, with the dominoes showing up. And there might even be some other ghosts from her past kind of showing up here later. That I, I found that really interesting because it was something I never questioned. She kind of has just sprung on the scene fully formed, and I never thought about like who she was before she was a mutant, or if even her really unique look is something more than just her mutation. I just always assumed that it was a part of her mutation. Sure. So I like that a lot. I, of course, like Agent X, so I thought that was cool that he was back and that he's been trimmed down so he might be a player in this. But, yeah, and it's also great to have these characters that are mercs and mercenaries even have kind of some relationship with each other. So the man-bat werewolf guy, Albert, like, she can kind of relate to him because... We've all took these contracts that maybe we didn't agree with. And I thought that was a cool play, too, because Domino's not necessarily right or wrong. She's kind of more along the lines of the money. Right. We uh, like that whole turn for him rather than having to basically shoot him. It's awesome. That whole thing is cool. But yeah, I'm I'm excited to see where we're going to go with Domino. So I think it'll be awesome. Heck yeah. Um, All right. Well, let's see, it's, uh, oh, just something else. This has nothing to do with the comic books, nothing to do with anything other than the Deadpool movie. I have another prediction. I don't know if it's right or not, but Domino's original appearance in comic books wasn't actually Domino. It was a character named Copycat, pretending to be Domino, which is a weird thing, but there's been a lot of talk from the very, from the very first Deadpool movie, so back when Deadpool came out after its release, a lot of talk about the character in the movie, the girlfriend character, being copycat. So I kind of wonder if maybe this domino we're getting in the movie will actually turn out to be copycat. Which I think if that's the case, that'd be freaking awesome. But again, that's just a thing in my head that'd be great. Doesn't matter if it's real or not, but the domino for his appearance, yes, that, that part is real. Anyway, uh, alright, so let's move on to another book. So I think the last one we had tonight was uh, Immortal Men from uh, DC Comics. And this has a slew of people working on it. So um, we have a special note for the book being created by James Tennyson IV and Jim Lee. Right, Tinian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they have, um, as storytellers, so artists and writers, Jim Lee, Ryan Benjamin, and James Tinian IV. So we share a lot of different looks in this book. When we started up, we are in a crazy cave with this giant pyramid and crazy red lighting. And we see this shadow looking dude with green energy coming out of his face, introducing this young Asian kid and telling him like, well, this, this is the school of the immortal men. And, uh, we see this kind of older, I had a name for, for the way that he looked. And now I can't think of it. He's like kind of a wizened old man with like a big beard. Yeah, well, he's got he's got a he's got a bigger beard. I mean, it's not out of control like Gandalf style, but as far yeah. as like 
look to him. I mean, yeah, he looks like a teacher, like a... He looks like a man that's been well-aged. Does that make sense? Like, I, sort okay, of. So I don't think they drop his name throughout the whole book. Uh, if they did, I, I must have missed it. But basically, it's like... It's, it's this crazy environment that's almost like a superhero's Hogwarts that we're seeing, I guess. And then we find the character that's going to be our, our main story protagonist lying on the floor, evidently in a subway terminal. And what we find out is that he blacked out and had this, this dream. And evidently it's a dream that he's continued to have over and over again for the better part of his teen years. So from there, as Caden kind of comes back to his senses, he sees the, the bearded man moving through the people on the subway terminal. So like through the crowd. Yeah. yeah through the crowd. And he, he kind of like is reaching out to him, but like his friends are kind of looking at him like, Oh man, freaking passed out. What the hell. Right. Uh, from there we flash over to his psychologist. I guess, uh, her office. And he's talking to her about the dream again. And this, this new effect of it. And the psychiatrist basically is just passing it off. Like, well, you know, a number of years ago you saw Superman and it's stuck in your head. This whole idea that, you know, being normal isn't quite good enough and that you want to, you want to fix the world, but you're just a regular person and that's okay. (laughs) And this is just, this is just a safe place kind of dream where you want to think that you're more than who you are. And and you should you know eventually you'll stop having this. And he's like, oh no no, I'm I'm having crazy things happen. Like when I when I touch somebody, I I can see things that they've done. I I uh, did something the other week, and I I put my hand on my mom's shoulder, and I could see her drinking, you know, some some wine and watching a show by herself. And I knew I wasn't there. And she's like, well, we'll put it into this, you know. And so she takes his hand, and he sees her like at her house with a bong. Yeah, and so he's like, "Oh yeah, no, I I didn't see anything." You're right, because of course he doesn't want to like call her out on that because she would never admit to that either. Well, yeah, as far as a, a thing, I mean, yeah, it would have proved it real to her, I guess. But ultimately, all it's going to do is make, is make their their relationship weird. So he carries on and goes out and meets his parents who are out in the waiting room. He's like, "Oh, I, you didn't have to stay," and we kind of find out that the parents are. Pretty well-to-do, I guess. The mom's pretty influential, and the dad's got a lot of business stuff going on. He also dresses like some kind of, like, displaced time pimp. <laughs> just a little... Oh, man, I don't know if I call him that, but okay, yeah, I can... He's he's dressed like a little more, uh, what you'd think is, is not like a, a straight-up businessman. We're not talking full-on million-dollar suit and tie. Like, he's dressed, uh, I don't know, I would say more like a... Like a, like a writer, because he's got himself a fedora on, but it's not like a sharp, nice... It, I mean, it's a nice fedora, but it's not like a black, sharp, expensive-looking fedora. It's like a tweed fedora. Right, yeah. And then he's got, like, an ascot, like a big ascot. I kind of think... Whenever I think of Stephen King out in the woods, this is what I think he looks like. He's wearing his he's wearing his flannel jacket. No, granted, this isn't flannel. I guess it's more, like you said, tweed. He's got his hat on like he just came from fishing or whatever. But he could also go to a book sale and look like he belonged. Mm-hmm. There, there we go. Yeah. But uh, basically we find out that uh, Caden had, had plans this evening. He's supposed to be going to some kind of party. 
that his friend is being the DJ at. It's like some kind of rave party. Yeah. And the mom's sort of like, oh, I don't know. And he's like, no, don't be really safe and blah, blah, blah. And if there's drinking, I'm going to leave. And she eventually, like, agrees to it without a whole lot of trouble. As long as he uh, doesn't ride the subway back. I guess she doesn't want him passing out in the subway again. Yeah, she's so you have to take a driver that way. That way we don't have you blacking out on a train. Yeah. And then the husband's like, oh, man, there's a part, that's the kind of party I didn't even get to until I was in college. You ought to feel really good that she agreed to this. Right, <laughs> right. Like, you put one over on your mom. <laughs> uh, which, you know, after, after we get done with that melodrama, we get led to this crazy subterranean world full of dead bodies and this sort of, I'd say, like, Wolverine-esque guy. Uh, crouching over some of these bodies. And he's musing about how, oh, with the taste of the blood, I can remember their past. I can remember all their memories. And what we start finding out is that there's this whole society of immortals. And these immortals have hidden from the rest of the world while they are influencing it. And that there's different factions of these immortals. And that the group that he's a part of has decided that they, they no longer want to be under the thumb of the other group and that they're going to just kill them all off. They're going to wipe them all out. And this is evidently the aftermath of one of these major battles. And they make the comment that there's like four of them left. And as we're going through all this, we actually wind up being interrupted by a really interesting um, interloper. Which is the bat that laughs. Oh, yeah. It's straight up. Yeah. And he's there with, like, his pet robins and everything and is just eating up all the carnage. Not literally, but, you know, figuratively. <laughs> yeah. And, okay. and he basically is telling them, like, oh, in all the worlds, I never understood why you guys didn't run them all. Finally, a world where these immortals are going to, you know, do what they should or take the place that they should. And so, like, it seems like if he's not going to be helping them, he's definitely supportive of the idea of them killing off the other immortals. Oh, yeah. As far as the game's concerned, yeah. I I don't think anymore that he's in there any more than just to cement that it's connected to metal, really. But as a thing, yeah, he's he's there and giving his approval of everything that's happened, and it's a crazy body count. I mean, it's yeah, it's nuts. From there, we catch up with the remaining four from these other immortal men. And we kind of get a little bit of a who's who for these guys and see that there's other creatures that are still following them. And that not all of them agree with the idea of leaving the conflict. But we also kind of catch up on what some of their powers are and who they kind of are. We at least get name drops for them before we get back to Caden. Right. Um, and Caden, of course, not listening to his parents, decided, I, I'm going to ride the subway, because that's where it's at. It's, it's hot in the city. <laughs> well, he's there with his friends. It's not like he's there by himself. He's riding home with his friends from the party. But yes, he did elect not to take the driver, which would have made things so much easier, but instead to hang out in the subway, because, like you said, it's a thing to do in the city, I guess. And so he sees Beard Guy walking through the, term, uh, the uh, subway cars. Right. And is like, oh, man, I got to see this guy, and, like, just ditches his friends. 
I don't, I don't think his friends could actually see him. I don't, think, man. I don't think they could see Beer Man at all either. Yeah, yeah I don't think so. But he starts chasing after him through the ty- uh, through the cars. And the cars keep getting worse and worse and smell worse and worse. And there's more and more like just crazy homeless people, I guess, in the in the cars. That's what it appears, yeah. And he follows him all the way to the point where he can finally touch him. And when he does, his hand just passes through. And we find out that the guy was never there to begin with. We flash back to his friends who have got up to follow him and find that the rest of the cars have been severed. So the you know, sub or the um, subway's just, you know, hammering on and the whatever car he was in is fading back. Well the the homeless people in there start changing into crazy monsters and they kinda of give us a bunch of exposition about like, oh, you don't even know why you're a part of this. You don't even know why you have to die now. Right. Oh, yeah. And they are crazy monster types. Like, lots of teeth and lots of gross. Awesome. But before they get to have their way with our uh, our new protagonist, the mortal men make their grand entrance into the story and uh, kind of they start taking things apart. But we kind of get our, our first real look at who they are and they're going to get a little bit more... I guess as the story continues a little bit more about each of them. Well, I'm sure I'm sure we will as far as the sub's concerned. But yeah, this is the big entrance for the team to save the boy. And like the whole name drop of the immortal man, that's of course that's where that's at. Yeah. But yeah, as far as like sub, there's still a lot of questions like how these other characters connect and as far as factions are concerned, like how why exactly our main character, why why is he important? Like that's the big the big catch is gonna be that what that's about. Rob, you got a score for that book? I I give it a I give it a two and a half. Honestly. It's it's an exciting book. And I'm I'm a big Jim Lee fan. Like for me, Jim Lee's art is just where it's at. If there's a book that I would want to have done, I'd want to have him doing the art. But this kind of had a lot of art by committee, and there was times where I'm looking on a page and I'm like, is this the same character? I because a couple of panels before, it was done so badly. I don't know if it was just that there was a big rush on getting the book done, and there was just panel work that wasn't finished or what, but the overall art for the book is not very cohesive, in my my opinion. We start with a whole lot of stuff going on in here, and I feel like we spend a lot of time setting things up that maybe didn't pay off as, as well in just this one issue. I guess a lot of what I'm coming into with these books this time was it feels like you should have started with more adventure and more intrigue and less actually beginning. And it kind of makes it like for, for me, it's a little hard to sell these books right off the gate with so much buildup. Like I, I almost need something to care about the characters immediately because I don't know if I would stick around much longer. Does that make any sense? Well, it seems like a conflicted style of storytelling. Uh, in general, whenever a story starts and it's in the middle, I know that you don't like that either, but you're a very particular person to suit. So, but I can see what you're saying. As far as like lead ups concerned, it felt like damage to have two or three more pages in it for the story for issue number one. Yeah. Sideways did fine. I don't feel like there's any problems really in there as far as like length for 
getting to the point of things. Yeah, no, I thought Sideways was done very well. Right. The Terrifics, same thing. It was done pretty well. Yeah. But yeah, the Brimstone and, and Immortal Man, it feels like they need a couple more pages of things. And I think in the overall chase of explaining like his power, other than seeing him use it on the Doctor, and that like leading nowhere, really, maybe maybe two more pages in the book to get a little more... I, I just feel like the, the main draw was the rest of the Immortal Men. Right. And then this should have been our gateway character, so that we could learn who they were through him. I'm sure that's what issue two is going to be about. It probably is, but we spend so much time with him that we don't really know the Immortal Men yet. And I, I just I I guess I'm coming from it on the point of like if I was just buying this book and and this was going to be the one that sold me to keep going, this probably didn't do it. Hmm. Is what I'm getting at, I guess. Okay. Um, it in in like sideways, it would be like we spent. Most of that first issue going to Gotham and having the big rock thing instead of going like, oh, this happened. Now I have powers. Boom. You know, I, I just, I, I felt like it was almost too much set up for something that I really think actually could be really cool. And they do go into more detail on some of the mystery men or the, the, the immortal, immortal men, men. Mm-hmm. in this book. But of course we don't, we didn't have time for it right here. And it kind of has a little bit of the feel of the old Highlander where some people have the potential to become immortals while other people have been immortals for a very, very long time. And I like that aspect. I like the idea of the, the hero school or whatever. I just, I just feel like I needed more time with the immortals to really sell it for me. Gotcha. All right. Two and a half. Okay. Um, score wise, see, I, you know, I would give it a three. I mean, art, yeah, there are a few panels that, that, that chase weird. And whether that's just because of time or whether it's because of, because of the artist not being the same artist throughout the book. I mean, there's um, plenty of reasons why that is probably the way it is. As far as the setup, I don't know, I like it just fine, but I think we're falling into another trope that we're having, not trope, another situation where it seems like the books are being written for a five-part story arc to be one trade. Yeah. They're not written to be a comic. They're written to be a trade. And with that in mind, if you're driving the goal to have one volume and then you're breaking it up into individual issues as if it'll work somehow, some of the story gets lost in there, I think. I don't feel like it kills it, obviously. I mean, I, I was interested enough that I'm willing to read the next book, but... It's one of those things like if you get to the five, if you read all five issues together and you're like, it's a whole story. Well, you need to have the issues do enough to make people care to come forward. Yeah. You know? No, I, you know what? We, we talked about this before. We may have even talked about it on, on the show before. I mean, it, it's just, I, you're, you're right. I didn't even think about it in that regard, but that's probably exactly what, what hole they fell into is, is going, like, I got it as a really good idea for five parts, but, you kind of sell it every issue and that's, it's tough when you don't because right. you usually got maybe one, like I would really like to say most people will give it three issues like, like a retailer has to, but a lot of times you got one issue to sell it and if it doesn't do it. Oh yeah. We've definitely seen in our store people punching out at issue two and that wanting to punch out at issue one, but just gritting and burying it for the next issue. And it's not whether the book's good or bad. It's just, they're not willing to go farther because they don't feel like they've been sold hard enough. 
So it's like chasing for that almighty dollar, man. It's getting to be a lot harder. You know, and on a side note, it doesn't change the score, but I love that the the bat that laughs was in it. I thought that was a really good choice. So I don't know if he's really going to play a bigger story part. Like you said, these kind of have something that loosely connects them to metal right. for most of the new the new heroes, but um, the new age of heroes. I'm sorry, but like that that was a a great point for me. It really legitimized a lot of like who these guys were to have him show up. So. Oh yeah, and as far as putting a notch in their belt without having to do much more than show us a pile of bodies, a good way to do it. Yeah. I mean, good on you. That was awesome. All right. Um. So let's see. What's uh? I guess that's it for books, right? Yeah. Yeah. This, this is the last one. All right. Let's see. So, Rob, what'd you learn today? So uh, what I learned is Agent X managed to lose all the weight with lots of diet shakes. Hasn't had a regular poo in years. <laughs> Dirty for a lot of reasons. <laughs> but it's in there, so, you know. Uh, all right. Well, what did I learn today, Rob? You learned that uh, Nick Fury, seeing the unseen, recommends that he doesn't wear dresses. <laughs> he doesn't have the face for a dress. He does not have the face for a dress. That's true. So, so even Nick can put down Nick. <laughs> you think he'd be the best at it, considering. That's true. I mean, he, here he is. He's dying. Last words. Probably shouldn't have wore that dress, pal. <laughs> it's awesome. It's so funny. Uh, all right. Um, Rob, you got some books to watch? Uh, X-Men Blue is actually doing something really unique where they got a whole new team in there. Uh, X-Men Red has been fantastic, of course. Domino, I think, is really going to be a big thing. Uh, even though I know I didn't give him very high marks, I think Brimstone and the Immortal Men is probably going to be really good. Wayward, Birthright, and Deadly Class, all fantastic. So, yeah, I think those are all right. Those are the big ones. Sure. Um, like books, books to watch. You know, I I agree with Domino. Um, we definitely X Men Gold here in the next few months because we're doing this whole. Wedding of Kitty Pride and Colossus. Yep. Dun, dun, dun. That should be amazing. That stuff should be really cool and neat. Um, I'm going to say Batman, um, just because this last batch of the storyline, we, we had the uh, Catwoman pick her dress, and then we moved to the new story, issue 45. It is a crazy nightmare at the beginning. Tony Daniels is doing the art. It's beautiful. As far as like a flash to a weird timeline or weird reality, yeah, it is crazy. Awesome. I'm super excited for the Catwoman book, which, I mean, we still have quite a few months before they even solicited it, but Joella Jones is getting her own Catwoman series written and drawn by. I think that'll be great, so keep your eyes open for that, only because she's amazing. Uh, even if you've seen any of the Batman-Catwoman story over the last, like, seven months, like the whole trip out to, f- to fight Talia Ghoul, that stuff was drawn by her. Uh, the Ford number 44's B cover, the Catwoman cover, she drew that. Um, she has her series, uh, Lady uh, Killer. Lady Killer. Yeah. I was trying to, I don't know how I can remember that. So Lady Killer, she's written, drawn two volumes of that. Fantastic. Uh, so I would definitely watch for that book because I think it'll be great. Uh, Marvel's getting ready to restart a bunch of stuff. We're going to bet to new number ones. Uh, pretty excited for this new Fantastic Four, which I know is not normal for me. But, uh, what we're seeing from it is an aged up cast. So Valerie and Franklin are a little older. At least by height they are. Variant covers we've seen, at least one where Reed has a beard and, like, gray in his beard. So I'm thinking the entire cast 
outside of Johnny and Ben has had a change age-wise from all their time in the galaxy. So for me, I think that's really cool because it's like getting the Teen Titan aged version of Franklin and Valerie. So our Fantastic Four maybe becomes a Fantastic Six for a while. But as far as the story is concerned, it's still going to be four. Uh, Dan Slott's going to be writing that, which I dig him a lot. I know there's a lot of Spider-Man hate for him, which I say shut up because the dude's awesome. Uh, as far as Iron Man, he's going to be doing that too. So I think both those books are really cool to check out. Um, if, if Fantastic Four doesn't hit out the gate home runs, I'd be super surprised just because of, uh, first off, him working on it and all the talk of, oh, man, I can't believe we haven't had Fantastic Four forever, that... If it doesn't do well, it's because people really don't care about the four, and they all need to shut up and quit quit complaining when there's not a series. So take that, complainers. But as far as the thing, I think it'll be awesome because Dan Slott, regardless of what you think about him hating Spider-Man, it, you got to remember that the only way Peter moves forward is with strife. So what did you expect? Come on now. But I think that'll be awesome, so I say watch for all, all those. They're all books that are like months away, so sorry about that, guys. But... Mm-hmm. Well, I, also along with that, we're going to get a run for the Avengers, and we're also going to get um, a new Thor. Oh, well, yeah. As far as, like, yeah, storyline-wise, yeah, there's a whole bunch of new Marvel ones starting. I mean, the new Avengers should be cool. If nothing else, we we have uh, Ed McGinnis doing the art. I think that'll be awesome. Yeah. I mean, Jason Aaron's fantastic, and all his Thor stuff's been great. So if you're, if you're not already reading his Thor, then try to start with the Avengers, because it's going to be awesome. And he's done a lot of really big things with Thor. Oh, yeah. like His Thor stuff's been awesome. His Star Wars stuff's been awesome. Uh, Avengers vs. X-Men, awesome. I mean, the dude, good writer. Like, I, I dig him a lot. He's awesome. Like, all that uh, might, or Journey of the Mystery stuff he did, great. Storyline-wise, all the, yeah, all his Lady Thor stuff is awesome, too. So, good stuff. Anyway, that that's all I got. I don't... Like I said, I'm not really feeling it tonight. Sorry about that, guys. But, uh, that, yeah, that's it. That's, that's all I got. Rob, anything else? Henshin to key. That's a pretty good rap for me, so. To key. Henshin, yes. Wakazada Nanda. <laughs> yes, Wakazada Nanda. Not gonna do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All that stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 